On today's podcast, I was talking to Bridget Sims, and Bridget is returning. She has been on before, where we talked about dog first aid, and today we were talking about pet bereavement and just how difficult this is for owners and what's available out there for help. You know, who can you talk to? It's a lot of people who don't have pets don't understand just how painful it can be. And Bridget and I talked about this today and went through the process. Uh, She talked about the services she offers. And as always, a lot of useful information. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. The links to any of Bridget's services and anything we talk about will be in the description. So please do check it out. I hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to the David Watson podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, we seem to have gotten over our technical difficulties. <laughs> and just for the benefit of my paranoia, I'm, yeah, we are recording. So <clears throat> hopefully it's all in order. Um, so just to give people some context, I was locked out of my own Zoom meeting <laughs> for no reason whatsoever that we can establish. So since we last spoke, um, you've done a course on pet bereavement, haven't you? I have, yes. Uh, It's a course that I did with the Blue Cross. Um, Pretty in-depth, I have to say, Um, but absolutely amazing. I mean, just so, so interesting. Um, But yeah, quite, I'd say quite emotionally draining as well, but so worth it. Really, really good course. So, just for reference, I've not heard of the Blue Cross before. No. Blue Cross, so they're a rescue. Um, they have they have quite a few um, rescue centres, kind of Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire way. I'm not sure if they're anywhere else nationally. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're a rescue centre, so they obviously take in rescue animals, but they do lots of uh, various things to kind of, try and educate people on various things but also in terms of helping professionals like myself to do further education into other areas where we can obviously help more people um hence the pet bereavement course yeah Um, because last time you were on we spoke about uh pet first aid and it's um and you know and there were some really simple things in there just like for people to be aware of and uh and i can vouch for the little first aid uh, packs because I order some, and they are they are they are brilliant. Um, so, so what? How did you sort of um, kind of segue into the pet bereavement side of it as a service? I think it's because um, I like to support people. Um, obviously, primarily I work with dogs, um, but I like to support people from when they even before they bring their puppy home really, working with people to choose whether it's the right time to get a puppy even, um, what what breed of puppy would best suit their lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera, um, so that people can make an educated decision before they even get their puppy. And then I like to sort of support them all the way through, literally um, sort of cradle to grave really. Um, I do a lot of work with senior dogs um, because I do, I do think they get a little bit overlooked sometimes because there's huge amounts of information and support out there for people with puppies or people that are having behavioural issues with their dogs as they get a bit older. But going into their senior years, there's so much more we can do for our dogs rather than just put it down to old age. Um, so that's a whole new podcast we could do on senior dogs. <laughs> but um, We can do know. that. <laughs> I'd love to do that because I'm very passionate about senior dogs. But then I think pet bereavement is something that there's very little support out there for people. Um, and you know, I mean, you're, you're a dog person, you've had dog person, yeah. dogs all um, And you know, you've lost dogs in the past, has, have I? Um, and people that haven't had animals or haven't lost an animal don't understand how painful it is. And mm. it is like a member of your family. Um, and there's very little out there in terms of support. So people when they or even at the, when they're at the point of having to make the decision about is it time to let the dog go, etc. 
there's very few people they have to talk to to talk it through to to help them you know to make that decision i mean obviously there are their vets and their vets will do their very best but vets are not trained in pet bereavement um and it was for me something I was really passionate about in trying to help people to be as prepared as they can be, but also putting a slight twist on it as well. I mean, we know the number of pet thefts, especially this year, pet theft has gone through the roof. I mean, it is horrendous. Um, but losing a pet through pet theft, you're still grieving. Yeah. And there's... there's We've worried. There's yeah, there's no help for people that have lost a pet through pet theft. Um, but, you know, so pet bereavement support isn't just about a dog that's passed on. It can be about a dog that's been stolen. Or it could be that somebody's personal circumstances have changed greatly and they've had to rehome their dog because it's been the right thing for the dog. But for them, that's really traumatic. So, you know it's helping all of those different groups of people and different reasons why you might be grieving the loss of a pet it's because funny when you said about pet theft I, I had a silly conversation with somebody recently uh, and i don't mean silly as in like to sort of um belittle it or anything but somebody was just like because of people who know me know how, how much i adore my dog how much I, I just i love molly and um and and as you know from the previous podcast she, she's a rescue etc etc and she's just over the last year that we've had, she's just changed so much because everyone's just crazy about her. And she just gets showered and loved. And to put it bluntly, she's turned into a bit of a whore for being stomach rubs and will roll over on her belly for anyone. Do you know what I mean? But I love her for it. But somebody said, Oh, could you imagine if something happened to her? And I was just like instantly just traumatized. And I was just like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. And the old age thing I'm better with. But the idea that, and when you, and the reason I, I remember this is because when you said about pet theft, I suddenly felt this little trigger. I was just like, hang on a second. And I nearly like, where's Molly? It's the back door shut. And, you know, because I think that's got to be the worst of all. Because not only have you lost, lost your pet, lost your dog or your cat, I mean, we're, we're specifically talking about dogs, but I think it applies to anything, uh, any pet, is you're then going to be worried what's happening to it. And, and you just know in the, in the worst way possible that anybody that's stolen your dog isn't caring about its welfare and you know it's going to be coming under, no matter how some, somebody tries to reassure you, you know it's being abused in some way and that it is traumatised. And oh, Jesus, I can't, don't even know where you begin to help somebody with that. No, it's very, very hard. Um, because, I mean, natural, our natural instinct is to fear the worst, um, you know, and as you say, to fear that they are being mistreated, um, etc. But it could be that the dog has been stolen to order, sold on to, to somebody yeah. quite unsuspecting, who actually is really loving that dog as a member of their family, because they've, what they think, rescued a dog from somebody that can't look after it, or they they bought a dog in good faith and actually the dog could actually be being really well looked after um but it is very very difficult it is it's yeah it's that not knowing i think is yeah. the worst part and, and the, the most difficult part to come to terms with definitely um but yeah there's that that's kind of why why i really wanted to qualify in pet bereavement because I just feel that there's so many people that need need somebody they can talk to. And it's also, you know, elderly people that have maybe, you know, had a dog, had their dog for years and years and years, the dog's getting old too, and maybe that elderly person has to go into residential care through, you know, because they just can't stay at home anymore. But they're not allowed to take their dog. Yeah. And maybe a family member can't have the dog. Um, you know, and there's that that trauma for that person because they're losing their independence, they're losing their home, and they're losing their best friend. Um, so there's lots and lots of different ways that the support can help. It's not just about when a dog passes on, although obviously that is a part of it. Um, so yeah, there's there's just so much to it, and I'm I'm really passionate about it. Because it's interesting in 
we we've been fortunate for all our pets in in, in the most senses you know, that with the exception of one um who we think um somehow picked up some rat poison or something with the exception of that all of our pets have uh, dogs have li lived to a fairly good age um and for no I don't know how it came about, but it's always me that takes the dogs to the vet. And it doesn't matter who the dog belongs to, whether it's my sister in our house or down here. And it's, it's, in a weird way, it's a fortunate thing. I've just always been able to do that and I always feel this sense of, and it's, it's what drives me to do it is I can't stand the idea of my dogs being with strangers. So I have to hold them. I have to be the one that has to be there. I have to I have to hold them, and and it's the whole last last breath situation. And I've gone through it enough times now, and it's never ever been nice. But there's the the thing that upsets me more is the fact that um, the the idea that they might be in the room on their own when it happens, and I just I, I can't I can't allow I can't I just can't permit that, and. The one thing I'll say about it that specifically I'm thinking of three dogs who all got to a particular age, they all seemed grateful. And see, I don't know how else to describe that, but one dog, the first time uh, was my Labrador Paddy, and we grew up with him. So, and he, he'd got to a point where he, he, he was genuinely struggling to walk and stuff. And we, I took him down to the vet, and when I opened the door, for the first time in weeks, he jumped out of the car, and, and trotted up to the, up to the vet doors, and the vets, and my experience of vets every time they are incredibly good at dealing with these, and they're so respectful, so gentle about everything, and literally as soon as we walked in, they just went just go straight through, you know, they knew who we were, they straight. And this dog was more active in those five minutes than he'd been for the last 12 months. And it had got to the point where he dragged himself outside in the rain and was just lying there. So he was like, it's, and I swear he knew what we were doing. And I think we do. I think dogs can sense, um, you know, they can sense lots of different things. They can sense our emotions and things, but they quite often say that, you know, literally people will make the decision make the appointment and then the dog seems to perk up yeah um, and and i think it's it is because they know um and i think you're right i think they know when it's time to go um you know and and all you can do is help them the best you can and i i going back to your point about being with them i mean it has to be very individual but i think most vets would prefer the owner to be there or a family member to be there so that the dog has got somebody that they love with them when you know when they when they pass on um and and i think that's probably the last act of love you can do give yeah. your dog um but for some people if they're really really distraught it's actually kinder for the animal for you not to be in there um, because obviously your dog will pick up on that. They will be frightened because you're really upset. And so they will be frightened because they don't know what's happening, but it's obviously something really scary. Um, so, you know, in certain circumstances where people are very, very distraught, the vet is likely to ask them to leave the room. Um, but on the whole, for most people, actually being there is is the right thing to do and most you know i would say 99 percent of people would want to be there to be fair but I, I think that's a really good point actually is like i'm saying is when i do it that there's something inside of me that enables me to do it that overrides all the other grief but if that doesn't happen for you you can't force it's not fair on yourself to force yourself through that because like you say the dog will most likely pick it up you know it, you're you're putting yourself through an unnecessary trauma you know because it's 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 not nice it's not pleasant it's you know you are you know let let in the the the, the very dog you love 
passed away before you and you're you're the one that's kind of permitting it in a way and i don't especially for first time dog owners or cat owners um it, it is incredibly traumatic and like you say i think one of the hard things as well is people that don't have pets who don't understand the grief that comes with with losing a dog when you, when you have to take your dog to the vets and 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 have the dog put down it's you know and if it's there's no circumstances in which it's nice whether it's because of injuries whether it's because of um, old age because yeah it is the bond and attachment i think for is much more real than people understand no i agree i don't think i mean you know years ago a dog using a dog was was they were a pet weren't they they were you had a dog but you know there was there wasn't as much of an emotional bond i don't think whereas these days our dogs are members of our family they're like our children and the bond is very similar um and you know that that it it is like losing a member of your family but as people who don't have pets don't understand that they can't understand it because they've never experienced the bond um but i think you know there's lots that we can do to prepare ourselves um you know before the event uh, especially if it's a planned event obviously if it's an accident or an injury or it's a very sudden illness that comes with a different set of emotions because you haven't had the time to prepare yourself um but, you know, if it is something that you know at some point your dog's getting to the age where you're going to have to make that decision, there's a lot of support available in terms of a lot of the decisions that have to be made that you can you can almost make a plan before the event so that you're in a more stable emotional position to make those decisions. So things like after-death body care, for example, it's not a nice thing to talk about but your vet needs to know what you want to happen. Um, so to understand what those options are and to make that decision before the event actually makes it a lot easier because you haven't got to have that conversation when you're really um, you know, emotionally raw and, and can't really think straight. You've already made the plan, you've made the decision, you know what your options are, you know what you want to happen. Um, and you can just, you know, that information can just be given to your vet, even if you give it them to it, give it to them in writing, so you don't have to discuss it. Um, but that's much, much better because it also gives you that feeling control a little bit over, you know, you've planned it, you you know what's going to happen, um, and it, it it does help you to to deal with it a little bit better because you've got that. And because there are lots more choices again now you know years ago you took your dog to the vet had it put down that was it yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but now there are lots and lots of different choices about what you might want to happen um you know so um it's you, you can pre-plan a lot of that which, which makes the decision making at the time a lot less for you um so that you can you know that you can deal with the grief and then there's lots of different things around memorials. A lot of people have different memorials now for their dogs. So there's lots of different things that you can do. Um, I mean, one of the things that um, you can do is create a memory box. But actually, what I've started to do, my, my dogs are four and five, so they're not old. Um, but I've actually started to create memory boxes now so that I just put little things in there. Um, you know, just... Um, and you know maybe label them up just just fun little things that remind me of a certain thing that we did or somewhere we went or photo my favorite photographs of them because I think when the time comes that something you know does happen to them and they do pass on I can when I'm ready look back through that memory box and I've got all of those memories that I've collected through their lifetime Whereas if you wait until your dog has actually passed on and you then start to create a memory box, that's actually quite a painful thing to do. Um, you know, because you've got to go back and collect all those memories and, and actually going through that process for some people can be a healing process, but for some people can be really painful. Um, but if you do it while they're alive, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. And then you've got it to go back to. Um, so I'm kind of trying to encourage people to start creating memory boxes 
you know of, of their dogs putting in your favorite photos putting in maybe when you're about to throw their favorite toy away because there are really just shreds of it left you know there's not much of it put those shreds into the memory box you know all of those kind of you know kind of things um that you know at some point you can go back and have a look through and and it'll bring back really nice memories for you um so you know there's lots and lots of different things that we can do um another i think key element of um the pet bereavement support is helping people to decide how to involve their children you know if they've got children and they know that they're going to lose a pet you know how do you how do you talk to the children what do you tell them how much do you involve them um in it that's that that's quite important really um you know because one of the things that's quite often said to children is well we've had to put the dog to sleep but depending on the age of your child that could absolutely terrify your child because then they're not going to want to go to sleep because they think they're not going to come back you know <laughs> so you've got to be really careful about what language you use um you know and how how what is appropriate for what child or what age to to involve them so when you said that i just i could just see this parent in the background saying next time little timmy starts messing about we can put you to sleep as well just like the dog no one saw the dog again <laughs> yeah, somebody probably would actually. <laughs> it's a good job I don't have children because you can see my parenting skills right there. Do you remember the dog put to sleep? No one saw it again. Yeah, carry on, son. Carry on. Probably a good job you do. But it is so much to it. There's 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 so much more to it than just talking to somebody after they've lost their dog. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah there's an awful lot to it i mean because as you're talking about that i i'm becoming very much aware because i'm obviously reflecting that because i've had dogs all my life i don't really remember any of the grief from being a child and that's probably because that there was always pets there was always dogs there was always pets so it was a process we grew up with but as i've gotten older um, that's when I started to notice the grief increased with each pet. So the last, we had a colleague, Toby, uh, he was uh, put down about three years ago. My brother and I still talk about him and we still grieve. We're still grieving for him. We've, you know, and I don't, I have a theory that that's probably because Toby was around at the time my niece and nephew were born and he grew up with them as they grew up with him so i don't know if it's the first time because as an adult i've seen that dogs and kids and kids and dogs and that attachment has added to how i saw the dog whereas all the other dogs were more when i was a young adult or i was a child and teenager you know so it's that that's the only thing that i can put that's different other than i'm just much older now you know because <clears throat> you're typically talking about with each dog unless you're really unlucky each dog's going to be around for at least a decade plus a few years you know so it becomes a generation thing with every generation there's a dog and that's kind of with every you know my memories are kind of like oh this is the dog we had in the 80s these are the dogs we had in the 90s these are the dogs in the noughties you know yeah oh, absolutely but i do think there is there is an element there of what you say about um the relationship you have with the dog can also be attached to other relationships so and and so sometimes that can make that grief worse so for example if you have um, somebody that has taken in their um the dog that perhaps their mother's passed away and they've, yeah. had a dog, they've taken the dog on um you know and they've had that dog for a number of years and then the dog passes on they're not only grieving the loss of that dog they're grieving the link that that dog gave them to the to the mum if that makes sense so yeah that makes yeah. perfect sense yeah so there's there's you know it's not depending on on kind of because it's a living the... link isn't it if, if you yeah. take on a parent's and uh, an elderly parent's um pet after they pass away there is a, me a living memory that stays with you for as long as that pet is alive yeah absolutely um so then you know it's, it's quite complex um in terms of you know the what what the level of grief the different stages of grief that people go through um you know and it's it's helping people to 
to work that through at their own pace, but giving them that support to work through that. Because um, quite often people just need a sounding board. They just need yeah. to talk it all out and then they work out for themselves where they are and what happens next. But it's just quite often, you know, you get people who, because they don't understand, will say things like, oh, you're going to get another dog. Oh, it's just like, but, you know, even if you do get, and for some people, they do get another dog really quickly, which is, for them, is the right thing to do. And that's absolutely, you know, that if, if it's the right thing for them, then that's great. But, I mean, I think everybody knows, even getting another dog, they're not replacing the dog yeah. they lost. It's be a different character, a different, you know, a different personality. Um, it's not a replacement. Um, but, you know, st- some people do get another dog very, very quickly. Some people will wait a few years because they don't feel that it's it's right. It's a very individual thing to do. But somebody just telling you to go and get another dog and you'll get over it is not really what you want to hear. Yeah, I think cause I think sometimes like um, we we as a family we weirdly we've never purchased a dog. We've always just they just kind of turn up. I know it's just a weird way of saying it, but it's always somebody else's dog that they can't look after anymore. So we're just like, yeah, we'll, we'll take it. Um, you know, and as so my mum calls it, it's just a sob story. We'll just take anyone's sob story. Do you know what I mean? And and we've done we've had the best dogs. You know, and I know some bias there, but. We should, considering we've never done anything other than just keep the door open to anybody that can't take their dog anymore. We've done fantastically well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but I think it's a good point, isn't it? Because there are kind of two different types of dog owners, if that's the right way to call, to describe it. Dog owners that love their dogs, appreciate their dogs. And when that dog kind of comes to its, its time, they res- they're very respectful of that. They, they mourn, they grieve. But there's a part of them that I have to have another dog in the house. They they miss the presence of a dog, and and it's it's nothing to do. It's no disrespect in any way, shape, or form to the previous dog. And our house is like that. When 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 the dog passes, sometimes we've been lucky. That we've had two dogs, so the the space is still there. Uh, isn't sorry, the space doesn't need filling like with Toby the last it was two years before Molly came along and the thing we noticed was this just an emptiness and that emptiness constantly reminded us of Toby and and that was kind of almost painful every day because we were all very aware of it and I think for some dog owners that's actually what why they have to find another another pet another dog because there's there's just a huge space left that constantly reminds them of their last dog. I mean, and that's just my own personal experience. Um, mm. And then I think you're right that there's other dog owners that when they lose a pet, just <clears throat> maybe it's from guilt for the grief, they're not able to find another pet without feeling bad, like they're, they're, they're not respecting their last pet. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And I think some people will wait a couple of years um, or so, and then maybe we'll get another dog. Um, and quite often with those people, it's, a, I guess, a similar uh, circumstance in t- um, that you described in terms of quite often with those people, it will be a dog that comes along that needs a home and yeah. they take it on. Um, and somehow I think that helps them to feel less disrespectful to their previous dog because they're giving a dog a home that needs one um but you know some people will will go and get a new puppy and and go you know and start the whole kind of life process again and i think like i say it's very individual it's whatever's right for that person there's no right or wrong i don't think in terms of when and if you get another dog it's it's really what's right for you it is because i do think like, like we said at the beginning, for, for non-pet owners, it's our dogs are are our family, you know, and and like you said, it's changed very much from, say, my grandparents' generation, <clears throat> where they had dogs, but the dog slept outside in the kennel. The dog was fed scraps of food. Now the dog was was treated absolutely fine. The dog was loved, but it was very much more a tool than a pet, you know, or to term it better as you said a family member no it's a dog 
and it has a role it has a job do you know what I mean? and that's to bark when strangers turn up and keep the rats down near the chicken coop <laughs> do you know what I mean? it, it was whereas now it's much more like my, we we joke about as if my granddad's seen how we live with our dogs today on the couch sleeping on the bed he he, he I've, I've said to my mum he's rolled in his grave so many times he's dug another hole do you know what I mean <laughs> Because he, he was a very, you know, he was an Irishman, very different generation, and the dogs, they slept outside, you know. And if somebody ever said, well, it's cold outside, that's why, that's why he's got a fur coat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that, it is a very different bond now, I think, um, you know, for the majority of people, a very different bond. Um, than well, the look, majority. actually, I should just add, sorry, he he did have a, his last dog was stolen and he and him and this was many many years ago you can go back to the 80s and he never got a dog after that he never recovered from that so in his own way he had that strong bond you know but it's yeah how, how do you like because like you said some people like they just need i suppose like like you say that sounding board but it, it's probably that echo chamber because to avoid those people are like, well, you just get another dog or look, it's only, it's only a dog. It's, you know, what, what is, you know, where, where do you start? Um, it's, it obviously depends on the individual that you're working with um, and kind of where they are in the process. Some people just want to be able to talk about the dog. They want to be able to talk about the personality. They want to be able to talk about memories. And that actually helps them, whereas maybe they feel they can't talk to their partner because their partner's dealing with grief in a different way and just doesn't want to mention it, doesn't want to discuss it. It's, you know, the dog's name can't be mentioned. And when you've got two people that are dealing with grief in a very different way, that can be really, really hard. So it's about, um, you know, just letting the person talk about what they want to talk about, um, you know, whether it whether it's memories of the dog when they were a puppy, whether it's um, their final days, um, whether it's did I make the right decision or not? And, you know, and then we can talk through, well, you know, what was it that your dog loved to do? You know, what during their life, what was their favourite thing to do? And were they still able to do that? And, you know, obviously the answer most of the time is no and you start to talk through the quality of life that they may have had which helps the person then to, to accept that they have made the right decision um, and it, it's as I say it's very very individual there's no kind of one size fits all it's about what that individual wants some help with and it could be that they just need somebody that will listen to them talk about their dog because nobody everyone else is too upset to mention it or it could be that, like I say, they want just to get straight in their own minds that they made the right decision. Or it might be that they want to think about how they can best remember their dog and, and the different options that they can have uh, around that. So it's it is very individual. Um, you kind of have to be you have to be led by what the person wants to talk about rather than have a script and go, okay, I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be what they want to talk about. But you just made, um, it's probably the most glaring point, is one of the big differences with pet bereavement, especially, like I said, I mean, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but we didn't get into the details. It's the only time in our lives where we take a choice. And our choice is, we're going to end your life. And even though... It's not as far as I'm aware, it's always done under vet's advice. Like this is the best thing. It's the least amount of suffering. It's still a choice that you consciously have to make and it's yours. You know, in some respects you could argue, and I, I'm not advocating for this in any way, shape or form, just to be clear, but it would be, wouldn't it be great if the vet made that decision for me? Cause then I, I'm not responsible, you know, because there's a reason we don't do it with human beings. It's because nobody wants to be responsible for ending the life of a human but we have in my opinion at least the same bond with our pets but we are the ones that are and actually people advocate that you should take the responsibility that when the time is right it's it's very common to that you can't let it suffer 
you're letting it suffer to ease your own pain. It's not you're not being fair. And and then you have to make that decision. And that yeah. Yeah, I mean it's difficult and it's really hard for vets as well because vets are not actually allowed to tell you. No. That then that they can advise on how they see the quality of the dog's life and they can advise you of they can say things such as it might be time to start thinking about um but they can't actually say it's now time to put yes that they, they can't do that they're not allowed to but um they will they will advise on you know kind of how they see their health deteriorating indeed that kind of stuff but you're right it is it is a choice but if you think about the word euthanasia comes from from greek and and basically it means a good death yes and that's what it means is a good death and you have all through your dog's life you've wanted the very best for your dog you know well 99 percent of dog yeah. owners will have always wanted the very very best for their dogs and they will have done the best for them and so surely the best thing you can do the best act final act of love you can give them is to give them a good death it is at the right time i mean 100 percent, and i think that's probably how i've always been able to to view it so but i i'm just i kind of like doing the numbers like if you get a dog when you're 20 chances are you're going to get to around somewhere between 32 and 35 before you have to make that decision then if you get another dog and and we're just talking one dog owners here. It's going to be fifty before you have forty-five to fifty before you have to make that choice again, and then before you know it, it's sixty. So you might only ever have four dogs in your lifetime. And if you have to make that decision every time, the the the, the gr with the grief and the pain it's going to cause you. Um. It's, it's do you know what I mean? Because some. Sometimes the, the, the dog will get an illness and it, it's almost taken out of your hands in terms of, look, this, it has cancer, we can't treat, it's now in pain, it's now suffering, you know. But that's not always, but even then it, it, it has to be really difficult for a lot of people because unless you, it's not something you can gain experience to. And, and n nothing in life teaches you to sever the life of somebody of, of, of a pet you love no i think the only way that you can look at it though is to think about all the the love the affection the fun everything that you have gained from that relationship during that dog's life and would you trade that for the pain of when they have to go i mean i know i wouldn't i you know if i if I know how painful it is to lose a dog because I've lost them before, but I still have other dogs. And that's because I know that one day that time will come and it will be as painful the next time round as it was the first time round. Um, but I still wouldn't trade the, that bond that I have with them every single day for the 10, 12, 15 years that I have them for that moment in time where I have to say goodbye. Um, and I, and I think that that's, that's kind of how you have to balance it out. But that's probably the, 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 the genuine benefit of coming to talk to someone like yourself is that you, you like you say, dependent on the individual, is that you do take them through that process of, of the, the grief, the guilt, but ultimately in doing what they did, they've made the right decision on, you know, if you look at all the joy you had from your pet, or the love that the pet gave you and that you returned to it, that's why you made the right decision. Because the guilt is probably one of the, the biggest hindrances to getting over the grief. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, it's easy to say people shouldn't feel guilty. Um, but, you know, everybody, <coughs> always will, even if they know it was absolutely the right thing to do, uh, and they have no doubt that they did the right thing they will they will still feel guilty but it's about like you say talking people through the process um you know the the, the lifespan of the dog and most people will come to their own conclusion that you know they really wouldn't have traded everything that they got from that relationship 
and they you know they would they would still rather have had that and go through the pain of going through now than to have not had it at all you know we, i even get sort of you know when i i'm chatting to people i even get to the point with people sometimes where they'll actually laugh about things you know when we're talking about all the fun and the joy and everything you've had with your dog we also talk about some of the frustrations or you know they'll say oh, God, I remember when he was a puppy and he ate through three broadband cables and things like that. And they'll start to laugh about it. Yeah. And that is actually quite healing. Very you healing. Yeah. It's quite healing for people to be able to, to have memories that they can then laugh about. Um, so, you know, we can go through. Um, and again, it's very individual. Some people will want to talk about that and some people will not be ready to talk about that. And again, thinking about, you know, the support there's no right or wrong time to have it. You know, some people might want support before the event, as I say, just so that they feel more prepared for when it comes. Some people might want to talk to me straight after they've lost their dog because they just don't know who to turn to. And some people may not be ready to talk about it at all, but three, six months down the road may feel that they just need to be able to talk it through now that they feel calmer about it. So again, there's no right or wrong time. Um, it's whatever you know whatever people feel is right for them i think that's probably a, a really important point to emphasize isn't it there's there's no time limits there's no rights or wrongs it's where you are in the grieving process and <clears throat> are you are you ready to open up and talk to somebody and kind of internally risk reliving some of the pain you know as healthy as you and i can suggest to somebody that is these are decisions that people need to make for themselves um and like I said, you know, if I get into that mental space, I can grieve dogs from when I was a teenager. So there's an argument that maybe I've never recovered, you know, never gotten over it. It's, you know, there's, I think it's important for people to understand if they're, you know, who are listening to this, uh, the bonds you have with pets are incredibly unique and they're unique between you and, and that pet. And you shouldn't feel under any pressure to be doing anything right or wrong with how you're dealing with that grief. No, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, every bond with every pet will be different. I've got two dogs um, and, you know, they're the, they're the centre of my world. They really are. But I have a different relationship. There are different personalities completely to each yeah. other. And so I have different relationships with them. Um, but I love them equally. But it's just different. It's yeah. a very different relationship it's actually it's quite funny because uh, a while ago now I, I was probably giving them cuddles and kisses as I do regularly and my, my husband said to me you love those dogs more than me and I turned around and said what's your point yeah 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh well done you finally caught up I know but, but I do genuinely and I also know, <laughs> you know if anything happens to even though, you know, I am, I am trained in, in all of this and, and I, I genuinely want to help people as much as possible. I know when it comes to my own dogs, it, it's not going to be any easier for me to deal with just because I know all of this stuff. No. Just... But we should also add that if something happened to your husband, you would also miss him and be upset. Yeah, of course I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> if the dogs are there to comfort you, that's, that's a lot easier. But, you know. <laughs> It's just, you know, there is a pecking order um, and um, he, he's just, you know, it starts with the dogs. Hey, he's on the list. What he, no, he made the list. He made the list. Do you know what I mean? It's sellotaped to the bottom of the main list, but but he, he did make a list. He's on, it. You know? he's on the list. That's all that matters. And how are um, Alfie and Mabel? Uh, yeah, good, actually. I mean, it, it's really strange because uh, about three weeks ago now, I had a bit of a scare with Alfie. Oh, dear. He didn't seem himself one day. It just wasn't right at all. And I just kind of kept an eye on him. And then the next, you know, when you just get this feeling that something yeah. isn't right. And I woke up about, I don't know, about five o'clock in the morning and I just, just knew something wasn't right. Now, my dogs sleep downstairs. So I went down and he'd lost the use of his back legs. Um, wow. Couldn't stand up at all, and he was shaking from head to foot in pain. Um, and I, I don't know why I went down that early. I just knew something wasn't right. So obviously called the uh, out-of-hours vets um, and got him straight into the vets. Um, and um, they did some x-rays. They couldn't find any bone issues, but what they think had happened is 
maybe he'd he'd jumped or he'd twisted awkwardly running around when we were out and about and they think that maybe a disc in his spine had just it hadn't slipped but it had just moved enough to put pressure on the spinal nerve yeah and so they gave him lots of obviously anti-inflammatories and painkillers and things and he stayed in for a while and then uh, we had to obviously be very careful with him and he was on cage rest for two weeks um but touch wood he seems absolutely fine now so it was obviously just something he'd done and he tweaked his back and it had put pressure on the spinal column so he's only five and you know i mean i got when i got into the vets i mean i was in bits yeah. because i was just god this is my baby and he can't walk you know all sorts of things go through your mind don't they about yeah yeah absolutely and, you know and um so and even then i you know i was thinking what am I, how am I going to cope when anything happens to him? Um, you know, my, my husband's kind of just saying, that day is a long way away. You don't even need to think about that. He's, you know, he's fine. Um, but it does kind of, I think it makes you realise how strong that bond really is. Yeah, definitely. unwell like that, and, you know, and it is something quite serious. But as I say, touch wood, he seems absolutely fine now. And that's one thing I think that's um, incredibly hard with our pets is often you get an instinct that something's wrong. And my experience of vets is they're very good at understanding that pet owners, they understand there's something wrong, but there's rarely any answers. It's, you know, we, we like to think that, that it will be something glaringly obvious that somebody in the know is like, but like they do x-rays, they do scans, they do blood tests, don't show anything. And there's no communication between you and your dog for your dog to actually, because, you know, your dog could come around and say, oh, that's such a migraine. And you'd be like, oh, God, we thought there was something wrong with your hips. It's like, oh, no, no, it's just a migraine. You know I mean? And you do what I mean? Because, I, I, you know, we can think of our own ailments and injuries and stuff and how it might present as one way, but you'll say, no, actually, it's, you know, like, like, you know, like I'll take migraines because I sometimes get migraines, you know. But actually, when you see me when I've got a migraine, I can often be at work. You know, I, I'm somebody that's fortunate enough to be able to carry on and it's not the same for everybody. Um, but I could actually be feeling incredibly nauseous, mm. you know, and there, there, there's all these, you know, <laughs> you know, there's all these things like, and like I said, as I think about all the injuries I've had over the years, dislocated shoulders, stuff like that. You wouldn't know looking at me that I have a problem with my left shoulder and limited movement. Do you do what I mean? And that's the, the, the thing with that is I can tell you that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, our dogs can't tell us what hurts, and we we can't explain to them what we're doing to make them better. Um, but it is, I mean, it, it's incredibly difficult, and especially at the moment, um, where obviously, you know, take him to the vet, and you have to hand him over, you're not allowed to go in. Um, you know, Jeez. because obviously at the moment, it's, it's still very difficult for vets. Because I haven't thought of that. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you can't you can't actually you know you, you have to kind of hand them over i mean they were very good because i went out of hours we did go into a room where i could stand two meters away from the vet and explain um what was happening but you know most people were out in the car park and the vet nurses were coming out to the cars to take the dogs in and people can't go in with their pets that that's quite difficult at the moment Shit. sorry um, that's just, that literally sent a shudder down my spine because i could yeah. not imagine because I'd be there on one hand, I'd be like, I really need your help, blah, blah, blah. And then the other like, you, you're not going near my dog without me. <laughs> it's really hard. And, and because I went to an out of hours vet, I have to say they were absolutely fantastic, but they're not my normal vets. So I was going to a vet I didn't know. Jesus. Um, who was charging me a hell of a lot of money because it was out of hours. A vet I didn't know, a vet my dog didn't know. And I was having to hand him over and trust that and they were amazing i have to say they were absolutely amazing and um that must have been so difficult it is it's really it's really really hard because you just you don't know what's happening you you know you kind of you go leave him there come home and then of course my other dog is pacing around the house because she doesn't know where he is and i can't explain to her where he is so you know it's all of that to deal with and your poor um, husband who doesn't even make the lists is trying just just i don't even know where to start <laughs> he just went to work he stayed out the way it was yeah. probably the best thing to do <laughs> yeah. 
um, but yeah, but it's it it is really difficult, and I and I think it does bring home when you know something you know when one of your dogs is is not well, it does bring home how how much you care about them and how vulnerable we are. Hmm. You know, when yeah. when these things happen, we emotionally become very vulnerable because we know we don't know what's wrong with the dog we know the dog can't tell us and now we're leaving you with strangers yeah. you know? and vets do i mean you know this is something that obviously we talked about last time with the, the dog first aid stuff but vets do like you to know your dog really well from a health perspective because it's yeah. so helpful for them if they know what is normal for your dog and what isn't because you can tell them it makes their job so much easier um, yeah and they're hindered at the moment they are. It's really hard for them at the moment. Really, really hard. Um, but, you know, another thing to um, think about with the pet bereavement, actually, it just, it just reminded me, is, um, you know, if you've got other animals. Yep. Um, you know, is to, you know, how you cope with that and how, how, you, how you can prepare or let. So if anything happens <coughs> to one of my dogs, how am I going to let the other dog know? what's happened um because again you can't explain and i know you said you had a dog before that was like really, really i was just thinking of toby because he he grew up with his uh so toby was a collie and roxy was a rottweiler and uh they both i don't know how they teamed up together in the uh the dog kennels but they both came from the dogs trust and they came as a oh no my sister got toby then got roxy and then because my sister had uh, a baby and roxy was a bit sort of tigger type bouncy we, we took both dogs and i swear and i know I, I told you this last time we were like we thought they were a pair you know like salt and pepper and when we had to take sadly roxy didn't live to a ripe old age uh, she had a stomach problem and sadly didn't make it and we come back from the vets you know really sorry toby and what you could tell there was a bit of confusion for an hour and then when he realised that Roxy wasn't coming home, if that dog could have done cartwheels, he would have. He was, you could just see it was good riddance, bitch. I never want to see you again. <laughs> and the dog, honestly, Toby was the happiest dog I ever saw after that. Yeah. Well, some dogs are like that because you will always have a, a more dominant dog. I mean, that's Roxy was dominant. There's, yeah, there's always going to be one. It's in the nature that one will be dominant. Um, but we had a sorry to cut you off we had a um, when when Paddy the Labrador died we had a Rottweiler then called Sasha and she did mope around for quite a few weeks she grieved and we had a cat at the time called Garfield obviously and um, sh shows you what generation what sort of decades <laughs> I'm talking about here um, but when Sasha died Garfield because we all our dogs <laughs> a bit morbid this but all our dogs are buried in the garden and um Garfield slept on the grave for about three weeks. Every day she went out there and led on top of the grave. Yeah, I mean, animals, other animals do know, but you're right. I mean, if you've got a dominant dog, um, then, you know, if something happens to them, the other dog's probably suppressed personality will start to come out. This is exactly what happened with Toby. Yeah, because they can express their natural <clears throat> personality because they're, they're not number two in the pecking order anymore. Um, so, you know, that can happen, but with other dogs, I know if anything happened to either of mine, they are so close that, that they would find that really hard to adjust. And so, you know, there are decisions that you can make if you know the event yeah. that happened, it's not an accident or a sudden illness, you, you know, you can make decisions about, well, do you have your dog euthanized at home? Um, because if you have them euthanized at home and you've got a second dog, um, a vet would never suggest you have the second dog in the room while it happens. But you can actually then bring your second dog into the room afterwards to see the body because it helps them to accept <coughs> what's happened. They understand that that dog passed on um, and it helps them to accept. Whereas if you take your dog to the vet and come back without it, your dog can become very your other dog can become really really anxious they'll keep going to the door they'll keep pacing the house they'll keep yeah. pacing the car because they're looking for them because they don't understand and that actually can make them quite poorly um you know, yeah they can go food 
um, and it can actually make them quite poorly and can make them depressed. I mean, dogs do suffer from depression. Um, so it's about thinking about how you, what you think is going to be best for your surviving yeah. dog as well as your other dog. We've always been lucky because, like I said, we, we have quite a large garden, so it is it is a bit of a pet cemetery, unfortunately. So I think for the surviving dogs, they're they're always present. So that they see the process, they can smell the dog. <laughs> and like I said, and then and I, I've experienced both where um, with older dogs, there was definitely a mourning period where they went through and they would hang around the grave a bit. They would always go there when you let them out in the morning, kind of sniff the ground and eventually that stops. We had a cat that would lie on the grave for a while. Um, and then there was Toby. It was just an out and out celebration. And but it was exactly what you said. This different dog appeared this different dog came out and this different personality and it, it was like t- two different dogs toby pre with roxy toby after roxy and what a different dog that was yeah so you know it's not necessarily you know it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's about knowing your dogs well enough to know what the right thing for them is really I mean, I know, as I say, I know because my two have kind of grown up together and there's only 10 months difference and they are, I mean, they're on the sofa behind me now and they're just curled up together. They're, they're yeah. together all the time. I know that they would be really confused. I mean, even just leaving Alfie at the vets for a day, Mabel really struggled to settle um, because she wondered where he was. So, you know, that also gives you a bit of a a bit of a clue in terms of, what would be the right thing to do if the time came because you know already how they react when the other one's not around. Yeah. So yeah, it can be quite complicated. It is. It is. These things aren't simple, which comes back to the importance of being able to talk to people who understand it's not black and white. They understand there's deep complexities to these and that, that there aren't time limits and there, there aren't the right, there isn't a right way to grieve. No, absolutely. It's very individual and very, you know, and it, it's based on, on life experience as well. I mean, you know, if you're somebody that um, has, you know, has never maybe lost a significant family member, it, it might be the first bereavement and the first time you're grieving like that um, and you won't really know how to deal with it. Or it could be that if you've lost several family members quite close together and then you lose your dog, you've got that compounded grief. So, um you know as i say it is so individual and it's and and i think that's why it's really important that people have somebody that they can talk to that can focus on the pet side of things um yeah. for them so so just i'm gonna let you go in a minute but before i do um i'm gonna ask you another question in a minute where can people find you Okay, so the best way to contact me actually is via email at the moment. Um, my website is currently being redesigned, which is very exciting. But at the moment, um, my email address. So if people want to email me at contact at pauseandplay.org.uk. Um, and pause and play is pause and using the word and play. Um, people want to drop me an email and be more than happy to give them a call or, or, you know, we can correspond by email if that's what they prefer. And you're also that uh, pause and play is on Facebook. It is. Yes. Yes. So you can look up pause and play on Facebook. I think if you put, if you search at canine healthcare, it can, it's the easiest way to find it. Okay. And I'll uh, do what I did last time. I'll ask you to drop me a link to all of those and I'll make sure they're on all of the, um, appropriate links to the podcast and lastly just because it's that time of year advice on ticks 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 okay so yes between may and november lots and lots of ticks around um dogs can pick up ticks from anywhere <clears throat> but if you walk your dogs near sheep or across maybe through woods where there are deer they'll there's a higher risk of ticks um but they can pick up ticks from anywhere if you find a tick on your dog, remove it straight away. Okay, never, people sometimes think, oh, well, it's not bothering the dog, shall I leave it? You need to remove it straight away. And the only safe way to do that is using a tick twister. And do you um, sell them on a website? I do sell tick twisters, yeah. 
and then nobody else will be able to see this, but you can see them here. Look, little tick clusters. I don't know. Yeah. But um, they, are, they are the only safe way to remove them. And the reason I say that is you'll see lots of things on social media that say, oh, dab it with alcohol or dab it with washing up liquid. That will kill it. It does. But what happens is the mouthpiece of the tick tends to stay in the dog and that can get infected. But also what people don't realise is that if you stress a tick when you're trying to remove it, which dabbing it with something to kill it is going to stress it, what they tend to do is regurgitate their insides back into the dog. And that's how they spread Lyme disease and other yeah. tick related diseases. So you need to get that tick out without stressing it. And the only way to do that is with a tick twister. So right. yeah, remove them straight away, always use a tick twister. Once you've removed them, you need to kill them. So a couple of ways you can do it. You can pop them in a plastic bag, seal a plastic bag and chuck them in the freezer for half an hour. That will kill them. You might forget to get it out of the freezer and find it the next time you go to get your dinner. But <laughs> um, Or you can squash them. But if you are going to squash them, you need to make sure you put disposable gloves on. Because if you come into contact with any of that fluid, <clears throat> excuse me, you can also get Lyme disease. Yeah, and Lyme disease is very dangerous for humans. It's, yeah, and, and if, if you get it, it lasts a very, very, very long time. I know people that have had Lyme disease and that there's a theory that you never lose it. No, and it's very difficult to diagnose as well. So actually you can be really, really poorly before they finally diagnose it. Because um, a lot of people don't know they've been bitten. Right? No, no. You so, know. yeah, really, really important that you kill them um and you know do it as cleanly as possible um, and use a, a tick twister a tick twister only safe way to do it perfect thank you, you very much no problem you're very welcome <laughs>